Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broad Eye Podcast. My name is Sean Maloney and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Dr. Bruno Fernandez. Bruno, welcome again. How's it going, Sean? Happy to be here again. Good, good. I think I need to change this introduction because I'm welcoming you every time, but you're here basically every time, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So today we have a fun episode. Um, We're going to be speaking with Dr. Deborah Megan Samps. Megan, as I know her. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. So um, we're going to dive into the topic of cataract surgery today. Um, we, go, we all go way back. The three of us have all worked together in the past. So I'm going to call you Megan moving forward if that works for you. Um, even because when I first met you, you were, you were still a, were you still an undergraduate student at that time? I was 17. I wasn't even Just, in undergrad yet. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Oh my God. It's been a, it's been a long time. Now I have to call you doctor, but for the, for this episode, we'll, we'll <laughs> stick with, I'll stick with Megan. Um, so I was hoping to, you know, start this off just with a brief discussion of how you would explain what a cataract is to a patient. If you have a patient sitting in your office, comes in with maybe, you know, complaints of vision and you identify a cataract, how would you explain to that patient what a cataract is? So in general, I use a lot of analogies when I like to explain things to patients. And one of my favorite analogies is thinking of the eye like a camera. So there's the um, lens inside a camera and we all have a lens inside our eye that we're born with. And just like in a camera, light passes through the lens to create images on the film of the eye, which is called the retina. And when we're born, this lens is super thin and clear. And as everyone gets older, the lens becomes much thicker and a yellowish brown. And so when these changes occur, it becomes a lot harder to see. And that's usually when patients start to notice these changes. And so when that lens is dirty, just like when the lens of a camera is dirty, all of the images become much less clear, much blurrier. And that's really what the cataract is doing to the eyesight. And so when when the person has cataract, like uh, uh, so eventually they need a surgery. And I believe that's the most uh, uh, performed surgery in the world, like in all fields. Uh, but yet there's a lot of misconceptions about how the surgery is done. Like patients still believe that, uh, that surgery is done by laser. And sometimes they're surprised that they actually need to cut the eye to put the lens in. And, uh, so could you give like a brief explanation, like um, how the surgery goes? Yeah, sure. So actually I'm glad you brought up the thing about laser. One thing that I always stress to patients, the cataract surgery is an actual operation that occurs in an operating room. And a lot of patients think that this can be done by laser, but actually it's not the case. Now some private centers around the world, some steps can be done by laser, but even still it's an actual operation and the majority of the surgery is done physically by the physician. Um, The other thing that a lot of patients are surprised about is that they're awake during the surgery. So we use the cooperation of the patient to help make the surgery go faster and smoother. So I let them know that they're going to be awake. So they're going to hear me talking. They're going to hear all kinds of noises from the monitors. And of course, from the cataract machine that's working to break up the cataract. Mm. Um, Then I always, you know, like to explain a bit about what the operation is. So the eye now is frozen with drops in a gel. Some patients have heard horror stories from their parents about this big needle that goes behind the eye. We really don't use that very often anymore. 
Um, it's two small incisions into the eye. And then I like to explain the operation of the cataract itself with another analogy, like an M&M or a Smarty inside the eye. So there's that candy coated shell, which is the capsular bag and the chocolate in the middle of the candy, which is the cataract or the lens nucleus. So I open up the top of that candy coating shell to make a hole and we operate through that opening to break up the chocolate into lots of little pieces and then we remove it. And a new lens is placed inside that candy coating shell or the capsular bag and then all the wounds are sealed. And so can, can the patient see anything going on because they're awake and the surge is in the eye? So at the beginning, um, they're lying down and they're looking up into the microscope, which is a very, very bright light. It takes a couple of minutes for people to get used to this light. So um, they usually are either describe this whitewashed image or it becoming very, very dark. There's different steps of the surgery where patients describe seeing different things. When you hydrate the lens nucleus, they could sometimes see that wave uh, changes of color. They describe a kaleidoscope of color but they don't see the instruments working inside the eye. They just see changes um, in the color basically of the microscope because of the refractive properties of the lens and all the liquid inside the eye going in and out. And from A to Z, how long does it take the whole thing? So every surgeon's a little bit different. You're in the operating room for a lot longer than the actual, actual surgery is just because you have to sterilize around the eye and put all the sterile drop, the drapes on. Um, the operation itself in everybody's hands is a bit different. I would say on average 10 to 20 minutes, but that's obviously, you know, assuming everything goes completely smoothly. Some uh, cataracts are very dense or the properties of the eye make the surgery more challenging. And sometimes those can take a little bit longer. So, you know, you alluded to the fact that this is a surgery. I mean, this is not something you can simply do as a laser. Um, so that also might, you know, invoke some anxiety in a patient who goes into your office and saying, oh, I thought you were just going to be able to, to laser this and then it'd be all gone. Now I actually have to go under the knife. But, uh, you know, Bruno alluded to cataract surgery being one of, if not the most commonly performed surgery uh, worldwide. I think it's right up there with um, cesarean sections, if I remember reading a, reading a statistic on it. I don't know which one is number one and one is number two. But uh, I guess like cesareans, it, you know, we it's a surgery that clinicians have um, had enormous amount of training on, right? So the, it has also over time, the risks or potential risks have, um, I want to say they've been reduced just from the learnings of performing the surgery over many times. So on the note of uh, risks, what are some of the risks that are associated with an actual cataract surgery to a patient? Yeah, so just like you said, in general, cataract surgery is, is a very, very safe operation. But just like with any operation, there are risks. People are super surprised by this. Their eyebrows go really high up when I start to talk about this. Um, there are some doctors who like to just say it's a very safe surgery. The risk of anything going wrong is less than 1%. And that's fine. Um, I was, I would say, raised in an ophthalmology community where the risks were listed much more obviously for patients. So I always like to talk about the risk of infection. It's super rare, but when it happens, even if it's treated, it's one of those things that can be site-threatening. Uh, specifically, I'm referring to an infection uh, called endophthalmitis. 
it generally presents in the first week postoperatively, and we catch it on either post-op day one, but most commonly week one uh, visits. And to help avoid this, drops are given before surgery, antibiotics are placed inside the eye at the time of surgery, and there are more antibiotic drops given postoperatively. And I usually tell my patients it's roughly a one in 1500 risk. So it's small, but it can happen. And when it does happen, even when it's treated, it can be site-threatening. So I think it's something that patients should definitely be aware of. The other risks um, are less common, but definitely worth mentioning. So there's always the risk that the structures inside the eye are a little bit weak, or uh, and then more surgery will be needed, or a different lens than the ones we pick will need to be used. And what I mean by this is that the structures holding up that candy-coated shell, so the zonules that are holding the capsular bag can sometimes be weak, the back of that candy coating shell called the posterior capsule can break or develop a hole or a tear. And sometimes some pieces of the cataract can even fall through that break. So these things are really rare, I would say less than 1%, but just because uh, the outcome might take a little bit longer to recover or a second surgery might be needed, I always think it's worth letting patients know. And then there's always a risk of needing glasses. So even with the new lens technologies um, that I imagine we're going to touch on uh, eventually in this discussion, there's always a risk that even with all the calculations and making the best educated guess and pick for a patient, that they're going to feel like they need some glasses after surgery. Um, and even though it's really, really rare, I always let patients know that vision can be worse after surgery, including blindness. I don't really feel like it'd be true informed consent if patients weren't aware of this, even though it's exceedingly rare. But um, I think patients deserve to know it's a possibility. I think that. Uh, oh, go ahead, oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, I was just going to uh, quick follow up. The, you know, I'm wondering if uh, some. It just makes me think of something I read recently. I'm wondering if some surgeons take the the um, the approach of of diluting the information. So uh, I don't know if you've seen that uh, that TED talk where. They're talking about, okay, you know, they're presenting a new medication and they're saying this medication can cause whatever, you know, stroke, heart attack, hair loss, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down to, you know, whatever, itchy feet um, versus, you know, drug B side effects are um, stroke and heart attack. And they're showing how that, you know, in the second scenario, how that drug is perceived as more dangerous because in the first scenario, you highlight all the possible uh, side effects, including the very, very, very minor ones that tends to dilute the information. So I'm just wondering, in, in some cases, if cataract surgeon to do the same thing, it's like, here's all the, all the different risks that are associated with this. And, uh, and, um, you know, including all the, the very minor ones, and seeing if that, you know, to dilute the information for the patient as well to make it more attractive, I guess, right. So anyways, I just don't know if you've seen that in your practice. I, I haven't uh, seen that or experienced that, but I have seen you know, the things that I go over, I feel like are, if it was my parent having surgery, I want to know like that you could go blind. Most people don't think you could go blind from cataract surgery. And like I said, it's very rare, but it does happen. Whereas a lot of people just say like less than 1% that something, you know, bad will happen. I don't really think that's fair. There are tons of other little things that, 
you know, I don't tell patients uh, unless it's particular to their case, like prolonged inflammation and things like that, because the truth is it's so treatable and reversible that it won't really impact their quality of life. So the ones that I feel are very important are the ones that could have a significant impact on their quality of life should they arise. Yeah, so it, it's always important right? like to align the expectations with reality and, and not try to sell a surgery, right? I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, and, and when we think about complications, right, of course, the, the most worrisome for the patients and for the doctors as well are like infections and, and things like that, which are site threatening. But like sometimes just the need of glasses after surgery you know, technically it's not really a complication, but it can be uh, uh, very like frustrating for the patient, right? If he expects to, uh, that he won't need glasses after. So what, what is the, 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 the current state of technology nowadays? Because you know? there are my bifocals, multifocals, lenses, and, and it is a reality now that uh, the, 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 I mean, the doctors have choices, you know, like, I mean, to, to put a lens in the patients that uh, uh, will eliminate the needle glasses. So are they good? And, and how, how comfortable can a, a doctor be, uh, let's say, promising that like, glasses won't be needed? Yeah, so I'm actually really glad that we're talking about this because I think uh, still a lot of patients are surprised to know that there's options for the amount of glasses they can hope uh, to be wearing or not to be wearing after surgery. So I always try and start by asking my patients what their goal is. So typically patients want to get rid of their more expensive distance glasses and don't mind wearing, you know, the dollar store readers for near. Um, but I always try and encourage them to think about their relationship with their glasses and how much they want to have independence from spectacles. And the reason for that is, like you were saying, there's so many new technologies that are available now um, that weren't even available five, you know, especially not 10 years ago. So the stories that they've heard from their friends or their parents from having surgery is so much different than it is now. Um, and I guess maybe the easiest thing would be to go just through some of the categories uh, that patients could think of, um, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, so, I guess. <laughs> so uh, the most simple ones are called monovision. So you could have monovision for distance, which I would say uh, is still probably the most popular choice. And the goal of this is to get rid of glasses for anything for far. And I like to describe far as being from your outstretched hand, anything beyond your fingertips. So um, you'd need anything for intermediate work, so computer work and seeing your card dashboard, and for near reading a book. And the reason why this is so popular is because the distance glasses are usually the expensive glasses, so people are getting rid of that. And monovision lenses in Quebec are covered by RAMQ. So this is typically also the cheapest option, uh, one of the cheapest options for patients. You could also do monovision for near, but like I said, not so popular. People tend to not be living their life at near, but some people who spend the majority of time at home, knitting, sewing, reading, doing crosswords, I'm seeing this much more during COVID, they wanna be glasses free at near, and then they're okay with wearing glasses for TV and driving. And then, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> No, I was going to say in between those two, there's something that's called mini monovision. 
And a lot of contact lens wearers actually do this without realizing it, where one eye is the far eye and one eye is the near eye. So for most daily activities, you don't need glasses, but for to be super sharp and near or far, you, you will still need a pair of glasses. But this one's sort of tricky because if you're not used to it, people get super debilitated after surgery. So I always suggest that if patients aren't used to this in contact lenses to go to the optometrist and try it out for at least a month or two months before surgery to make sure that they're okay with that. So yeah, so I just wanted to, to stress, right, that the choice of lenses, it's, it's a super important part of planning the, the cataract surgery and there's no such thing as a one size fits all. You really need to tailor the choice to, to the lifestyle and the choices of the patient, right? Yeah, and it's super important and more and more with the new lens technologies that have been coming out, um, people tend to be getting surgery earlier than before. So a lot of people want that uh, freedom from glasses uh, at computer distance, especially, or to see their car dashboard. And it's exciting because there is this new category of lenses, which is called the Monovision Plus, or that's how I like to term it anyways. And these are lenses like the Vividi or the Eyehance that are still fairly new, but patients are really happy with. And you get that intermediate vision as well with a strong likelihood uh, of still reading, uh, needing reading glasses. Um, and then there's the multifocal or extended depth of focus lenses. And these really would be for the patients who want total spectacle independence at far, at intermediate, and at near. Um, and these are becoming more and more popular with the younger people who are trying to get rid of their glasses. So there's something for everyone, but it's really up to the patient to decide what they want their relationship to, gla to glasses be after the surgery. Okay, so this is all uh, very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know about I know about cataracts before, uh, but some of this uh, stuff is new information for me too. So, okay, so let's say I'm a patient going in for cataract surgery. I'm probably a little bit young, but let's just uh, roll with this. Um, you explain to me all the uh, potential risks. I'm going to understand that these are rare, but real risks. We're going to do the surgery. I'm expecting, you know, the surgery taking call it in 10, 15, 20 minutes. If all goes smoothly, um, we, and this is all after we've chosen which lens we're going to use based on a discussion in terms of what I'm hoping for, for outcome relationship with my glasses. Now what? So surgery's done. Uh, you're coming telling me, Hey, Sean, everything went great. Um, what do I expect now as you know, some uh, side effects, you know, or, you know, can I just walk out of there and, and see clearly now? Um, am I going to have to put drops in my eyes? You know, what is the, the basic post-op uh, expectations that you would relate to patients? So on the day of surgery, things are going to be very blurry. And I always warn patients of this. Um, the reason for that is they've gotten a lot of drops before the surgery to dilate the pupil to make you know, access to the lens easier. They've gotten uh, antibiotic drops, they've gotten disinfected uh, drops. And during the surgery, the cornea can become a little bit swollen um, just because there's so much fluid going inside and out of the eye and, you know, you're making incisions inside the eye. Um, on the day of surgery, my patients get a, a clear plastic shield taped over their eye, which they take off four hours after the operation and then they start their drop regimen. So there's an antibiotic, an anti-inflammatory, and a steroid, and they sleep with that shield for a week. The drops continue the antibiotic for a week after surgery and the other two for a month after surgery in general. This varies from doctor to doctor, but 
it's sort of the expected, uh, you know, standard of care. In general, by the time I see them the next day, it's significantly clearer. By week one, very, very clear. Um, in terms of going back to work, it really depends on what people do. So for a typical desk job, I tell people they could go back when things, you know, are, when they feel good enough with their eyesight that they can go back. But people who are lifting heavy boxes um, or very dusty environments, I usually recommend that they take um, a little bit longer off work just to make sure things heal quickly. And part of the reason for that is we don't really suture the wounds for um, the cataract surgery anymore. So we don't want people lifting heavy things that could open those wounds on their own. Again, very rare, but most people say no heavy lifting for the first two weeks. Um, you know, in general, people heal very well. You hear little things here and there. Some people develop a sensitivity to light after the surgery because so much more light is entering the eye than it was when you have this opaque cataract there. But sunglasses and time tend to resolve that. And as well as the inflammation gets better and the healing's progressing, um, the sensitivity to light tends to go away on its own. Um, there's another phenomenon called dysphotopsia. So this is something that's quite rare. And it's the patient actually uh, the patient actually noticing the peripheral edge of the lens. So they either notice a black crescent or they notice a space um, in the lens to the bag complex where they get this arc of light. Um, these are negative and positive uh, dysphotopsias. And again, they're rare. And usually I just encourage patients to try and ignore it. And the brain learns to ignore it. And by post-op month one, usually patients aren't noticing this or bothered by this anymore. That can take a bit longer um, to heal. And part of that is personality type as well. Um, the most common thing that happens years after cataract surgery is something called posterior capsule opacification. And this is when a film develops over the back of the implanted lens. It's very, very common. The eyesight might get a little bit cloudy or blurry again, but the good news is that it's a quick, simple five minute in-office procedure, which is a laser this time, that we call, we just polish off the lens. So those would be the main things in the short and the longer term that I would let patients know about. Um, but usually it goes very well and people come back a week later asking when they can get their second eye done because they're so blown away. They're noticing that they need to paint in their house, that the floor is dustier than they thought before. They have more wrinkles than they realize. It really brings this whole new world to people's lives. So in that way, it's very satisfying and side effects are small, which is satisfying as well for the patients. Yeah, I'm glad you started touching on like long term uh, complications rather that can happen uh, after cataract surgery. Uh, on, on that, is there any also long term uh, precautions that patients should continue to have or like after, let's say, a month, three months, they could just live a normal life? Uh, or, or put it in other words, like the eye is, is just as good as before. So um, I usually recommend that patients don't swim for a month and, you know, get their head underwater in a lake or a pool for a month after the surgery, just because of the risk of bacteria going into those wounds. Um, but long term, 
you know, the eye is a normal eye. The old cataract incisions were very, very long, lots and lots of stitches in the eyes. So there was a risk of, you know, after big accidents, the incision rupturing. It's very, very rare now for these things to happen. Patients usually just go on to live a completely normal life. Um, and they, you know, they're just happy that they can see and they forget that they've even had the surgery a lot of the time. So it's good in that way. So just a, a quick question before we wrap up. Now, when we talked at the beginning about how, um, as you know, someone ages, this lens in the eye. So you you made the analogy to a camera lens gets kind of dirty or clouded, cloudy or thicker and whatnot. I think that's what's impacting the vision. Is there any risk of this type of thing happening to the synthetic lens that is implanted in the eye, or is basically once that natural lens? replaced, then, um, then they don't have to worry about that. So once the new lens um, goes inside the eye, the cataract itself is removed. So that lens stays for life. So in general, it's not a surgery that needs to be redone. Like I was mentioning, the posterior capsule opacification is sometimes referred to as a secondary cataract. It's from lens cells that migrate along that posterior capsule or the back of that candy coating shell. And that is something that does happen quite commonly in about 20 to 25% of all cataract cases, but it's a simple laser procedure to remove that. So it's not another big operation. It's more of a one-shot deal. You have the big surgery once and maybe a laser a few years down the road. So yeah, the laser is basically, uh, my understanding is you, you've implanted this lens, um, and then sometimes the tissue you know, holding that lens in place can, can kind of cloud, you know, the proliferation of these cells can cloud your vision. So you just laser it in the, you know, basically in the line of sight so that people can kind of see through that, but in a way that it's not impairing the, you know, the ability of that candy coating shell, so to speak, or that capsule to hold the lens in place, correct? Yes, that's correct. The lens after this procedure stays in shape, uh, stays in shape and in place inside the eye. Sometimes the lens could get dinged a little bit by the laser, which typically patients don't notice. It doesn't cause any uh, refractive problems or anything like that. Uh, just another, <laughs> I have a lot of questions. <laughs> um, they, I guess that's why I'm hosting a podcast. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So um, no, I'm just thinking, you know, uh, you did mention that um, some of, you know, in rare complications or rare complications could arise because maybe the, you mentioned the zonal fibers, so these, the tissue is basically holding that capsule bag in place, uh, inside the eye, maybe you get weaker with age, et cetera. Do you ever come across patients who, you know, are, let's say in their late forties or fifties, and they have just maybe the very, very beginnings of a cataract, but it really doesn't warrant surgery. And they, you know, want to proactively just remove that um, while they're younger and maybe there's less risk of, you know, post-operative complications. Is, do you ever come across that? And how do you uh, navigate that if you do? So there is a group of, of patients who are now, you know, popping up more and more. Exactly in this category, younger patients who um, either want to get rid of their reading glasses or their far glasses or both. And when there's not really a cataract, but they want cataract surgery, it's called a refractive lens exchange. So the goal isn't a cataract surgery, it's really to fix the refractive properties of the eye. 
This is not covered by RAMQ in Quebec anyways. It's done at private cataract centers um, in Quebec. Um, in terms of complications, the patients, you know, the complications are still there. When cataracts are thicker or they become like these white, brown and black cataracts, very, very advanced cataracts, the risk of complication goes up. That being said, refractive lens exchange is basically a cosmetic surgery, but having a surgery inside your eye. So, you know, it's, the risks are always there, the same risk of infection, the same risk that the structures are weak, um, you know, and needing a second surgery. So does it happen? Yes. Are there less complications? Maybe, but the properties of each person's eye, part of it is genetic and part of it changes a bit with age. So are there less complications? I wouldn't necessarily say yes, probably yes, but it's not a guarantee. So I have another, another follow-up question. So many yeah. questions. Um, you know, as a cataract surgeon, when someone comes to you, um, there are some tests you can do, right, to determine saying, yeah, this is a good time. Or, you know, if we do the surgery now, yes, we will be able to significantly improve your vision. Or no, do, you know, the cataract is not really advanced uh, far enough that doing surgery would, would you know, uh, dramatically impact your vision at this point. So um, what kind of tests can you do to predict or to get an idea of what the post-operative uh, visual acuity would be for that person who after the cataract surgery? So there are a few different uh, things to touch upon with that question. In sometimes optometrists um, or other healthcare professionals send patients for, you know, quote unquote, evaluation for cataract surgery. But the first thing I always ask the patients is, are they happy with their vision? And that's a huge thing because if a patient's happy with their vision, they're staying well with their glasses to do their daily activities. To me, that's already a sign that I could wait. Um, there are certain characteristics of a patient's eye, like um, pseudoexfoliative glaucoma, um, or, um, you know, if they're a high myope or things like that, that might uh, make the surgery a little bit more involved or any corneal issues where you worry that if the cataract becomes advanced and you need to use more ultrasound energy to break up the cataract, that the cornea could decompensate. Sometimes in those cases, I would suggest to the patient to have surgery a little bit earlier, even if they're not so bothered, just to prevent, you know, as much as possible, uh, other long-term um, complications. But for me, uh, in terms of testing, like I said, the biggest test is, is the patient happy or not? Um, if they're not happy, I try and get into with them what it is. For the most part, it's night driving, glare and halos being the two biggest things. Um, and then each patient's a little bit different. In terms of eyesight after surgery, as long as the patient has a healthy eye, you would assume that they would, you know, get almost perfect vision um, after the operation. In cases of people with retinal diseases and things like that, we could do an OCT, which is an optical uh, coherence tomography test to look at the different layers of the retina to see if there's any scarring or changes that might make me think that the eyesight wouldn't return completely normally after surgery, for example, in a patient with macular degeneration. And that's taken into consideration um, and discussed with the patient. But even in these cases, often the surgery, just by having more light entering into the eye, 
people find an improved quality of life, whether it's less tripping or able to see the TV a little bit more clearly. So, you know, it, it really is an interplay between what I find when I examine the person, but also what their wishes are and their experience in their daily life is. That's great, Megan. I, I, I think this episode really exemplifies like what we want out of this podcast. And I'd like to have uh, all the questions that a patient might have answered, but they wouldn't have the time to ask all those in the clinic. So it's a, it's a, it's a, we are very grateful for that. Uh, one thing about cataract surgery, you know, like that always struck me when I when I used to do it. It's been a while since I've done a cataract surgery. It's uh, it's almost like magic, right? It's so quick and it's so uh, uh, remarkable. Sometimes the impact that you have on the life of a patient. I remember like one very old lady that had a, a very dense cataract, and then uh, after surgery. I mean, she changed completely and she told me that it had been like more than five years that she couldn't see what she was eating. And then, uh, of course, that's, you know, it's very special and rewarding for the doctor as well. So I was just wondering if you have any, any special stories that you could share with our audience. Yeah, you know, it's, I think, most impactful in, in the older population, especially people who have had a significant impact in their daily life. I've had so many patients who were able to start driving again and regain that sense of independence, were able to move out of their children's home again. But one of my favorite uh, stories was early on in my career, um, COVID actually started quite early, you know, and coincided with my first year of, of practice. And um, bilateral cataract surgery, which is a whole topic that we could get into if you want, but it became something that the government was suggesting just because we were had to, having to test patients for COVID before and they had to quarantine and all this kind of extra layer uh, was going into cataract surgery planning. And this patient was in a wheelchair, was completely dependent on her son and his family. And I did both eyes on the same day and she walked into the office the next day um, and she was crying and the son was crying. And, you know, I have to admit, I really welled up with tears because you really, it really was the first time where it struck me how debilitating cataracts can be for patients. Not everybody realizes that it's a day surgery. Um, you're not going to sleep. So the risk of anesthesia isn't there. And to see her, you know, for the first time, I think she said in 10 years, she was able to walk on her own because these two white cataracts were out. It really just, it really gave me chills. And even just thinking about it, I'm getting goosebumps again. So it is nice to see the impact that it could have on people's lives. No, that's a, that's a great story. Now you did, you just alluded to bilateral cataract surgery. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll make this my last question because I can't, I'm not going to go on all day here. The um, Normally when you do a cataract surgery in a patient, do you do one eye and then see how that goes and then they come back in the future for another eye? Is that how it normally goes? So the normal has changed just like so many things during COVID. Yes, I would say 90% of the time I do one eye you want it to heal well, and you plan to do the second eye a month or two later. That's ideal. Um, sometimes, like in high myopes or high hyperopes, um, or for various reasons, now like with the COVID testing, or it's hard for people to get lifts to the hospital, um, the Canadian Ophthalmology Society put out guidelines to do sequential bilateral surgery. So you do the first eye, sterilize, prep, drape, do the surgery. You take 
everything off. The room gets gets cleaned, you know, the patient's still in there, but the whole room gets cleaned and re-sterilized. New instruments, change the bag on the FACO machine, change the FACO handle, change everything, everything, everything. And then you do the second eye on the same day, but it's treated like a whole new surgery. So um, that's becoming more common. A lot of uh, people are asking for it more. If people ask for it and they're a candidate, I'll do it gladly. But in general, I do one eye and then the other eye a few months later. Oh, fair enough. Um, listen, I think uh, this is probably a good place to to wrap up. Uh, we do appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and expertise with us and with the audience. Uh, I know I've definitely actually learned a few things from you today, despite uh, you know having worked around and with ophthalmologists, um, you know, in a research capacity, and knowing you since you were just a wee CGEP student. <laughs> so it's been it's been a lot of years, but uh, no, it, it, this is great, Megan. I really do appreciate you taking the time to to speak with us um, on the podcast. I think that some patients are going to really uh, enjoy listening to this, and uh, and clinicians as well to just to hear some of the ways you explain to patients. I, like I've never heard that analogy of, you know, a candy coated M&M, and, but it's a really nice way to frame it um, for people who don't have the, you know, scientific or medical training to, you know, understand what they're getting into. So um, thanks again for sharing that and for, for the personal stories and for, uh, for joining us on the podcast today. It's certainly appreciated. It's my absolute pleasure. It was so nice to talk to you guys. And to see you, even though virtually, after all this time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Megan.